0: And we're back with another episode of The Anarchist Experience. Episode 317, a.k.a. Year 7, Week 15, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Richie Rich, along with MCKS. And again, this is going to be Week 3 of our Clubhouse production. So if you are listening to this podcast, do know that we record on Clubhouse. Follow one of us, uh, either myself or MC on Clubhouse Figure it out on how to do that, and then you will be notified when we start the live show, and you can jump into the club or the room, since we don't have a club yet, uh, working on that as we speak, um, and participate in the show as you would had I still been giving out phone numbers, which I will no longer do, just a clubhouse, and when we get the clubhouse linkings up, uh, we'll be providing those as well. That being said, how are you guys doing this week? Excellent. Fine. All right, Um, there was wasn't much going on this week uh, pre-show, so I've just luckily for me, I've got a whole bunch of headlines that we can burn through um, and discuss as normally as we would have it. But I I have a lot, so we're not gonna we're not short of show prep. Um, I'm amazed at how much like small news there was for me to find this week. Um, In normal fashion, I would read off the headlines, let you guys pick where you wanted to start. Um, And for those listening in on Clubhouse, uh, get, I'll plug this again at the end of the show, but get in on our Telegram, uh, telegram t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience, because that is where I post all these headline links. So if you want to follow along with what we may be covering, that's a good place to get it. Um, And if you want to comment or you have, you know, articles of your own that you want us to talk about throw them in there because then I'll put them in with the rest of the things and, you know, maybe move them up to the top if they seem worthy enough. So that's a good way to do that. Uh, So, again, normally I would read through the headlines let you guys pick. However, uh, I want to read this headline and then hopefully uh, spark some discussion with uh, MC and KS over there. So headline uh, from thehill.com, Hawaii to become the first state to declare climate emergency. The archipelago joins jurisdictions from 34 countries in declaring a climate emergency. Uh, And before I throw this over to you, I bring this up number one, because you guys are still in Hawaii. Um, You know, we'll, we'll have listeners in Hawaii as well. I am from Hawaii, even though I chose to move. Um, But also climate change at the federal level and what these, what these states are doing is kind of one of your pet peeve issues. If that's fair, MC. Yep. That's right. So, Somehow, the the great state, the 50th state of Hawaii, is going to declare a climate emergency, and I don't know what the ramifications of that will be. Uh, Into the article, Hawaii will make history on Thursday as the first state legislature to declare a climate emergency. Uh, And let me just say, this article was written on April 29th, so Thursday has come and gone, and I guess it did pass. The state legislature is set to pass a Senate Resolution SCR-44 that openly states that climate change threatens both humankind and the environment. It requests state collaboration with organizations devoted to alleviating the adverse effects of climate change to halt the increase of global temperatures. I'm very pleased that the legislature has taken this step by declaring a climate emergency, said Senator Mike Gabbard, the primary sponsor of the resolution. We must take strong action to address climate change, Relate, uh, climate change related challenges such as sea level rise, coastal erosion, and the protection of our critical infrastructure. When Gabbard introduced SCR 44, it received unanimous support in the Senate and was quickly taken up in the house chamber. The resolution was championed by the Hawaii climate and environmental coalition uh, composed of more than a dozen organizations focused on halting climate change with a major focus on the Hawaiian islands. Prior to recognition on a state level, the local governments of Maui and Hawaii Island had declared a climate emergency in 2019. In the official press release, officials cite the mounting evidence of climate change as a major global threat, specifically noting a 2017 letter signed by more than 15,000 scientists from 184 countries explicitly warning humanity of the need to shift away from economies dependent on fossil fuels and preserve natural ecosystems to stop environmental degradation. Every day we wait to take action is another day lost. The climate crisis is a clear and present threat for both the current and future generations, said Dyson Chi, the Advocacy Director for Hawaii Youth Climate Coalition, a member organization of the Hawaii and Climate and Environmental Coalition. This is why we are thankful for the passage of SCR 44 and the recognition by the Hawaii State Legislature that climate change is an emergency that needs to be dealt with accordingly. With the passage of the resolution, Hawaii commits to statewide action that is rooted in equity, self-determination, culture, tradition, and the belief that people locally and around the world have the right to clean, healthy, and adequate air, water, land, food, education, and shelter. These major infrastructural changes will be a joint project with the Hawaii Climate and Environmental Coalition and state legislature working in tandem. Outside of Hawaii, a total of 1,933 jurisdictions across 34 countries have declared their own climate emergencies. Australia and the UK are two leaders in this movement. In the US federal legislature, a House resolution was introduced by Representative Earl Blumenauer uh, from Oregon, Democrat, in February to issue a national climate emergency declaration. <laughs> End of the article. Uh, so does does this so, resolution, this climate emergency declaration, uh, does it have any teeth? Is it virtue signaling? Is it posturing? It, uh, it is your virtue thoughts signaling. Boots on the ground. It is virtue signaling,
1: but um, what they're basically saying is we're going full commie because uh, we're afraid of climate change. And you know, climate change has always been happening. Um, humans have been very good at uh, surviving all types of climate change in the past and um, we have all this technology now that makes it easier to live in all types of climates and people are moving to Arizona and Texas uh, you know even after the cold snap um, so yeah that what what they what what they snuck in there was that it was all the things about uh, equality and culture and everybody has the right to yeah they did things oh, it's oh well, everybody self-equity, has equity
0: self-determination culture to tradition the right to clean healthy adequate air water land food education and shelter just boom right under yeah. the rug so there. so
1: full, full commie um and no way of, of of paying for any of that except for you know basically if, if you have something and somebody else wants it they'll take it so um i, I, I guess if if, it were, if this thing had any teeth, then, well, I guess move out of Hawaii. is going to become a hellhole.
0: So, KS, uh, you're, you're the, the resident economist, I guess, in this discussion. Um, if it did had, have teeth, what do you think the, the economic impact of such a resolution or, like we we're talking about here, um, the proclamation that all those things are rights all of a sudden and, and how that works its way through the population?
2: Oh, it will just drive more people away from Hawaii. Uh, already, <clears throat> they uh, seem to be losing population because of the high taxes and controls on so many aspects of life. This is just one more of the burdens, <clears throat> and people will move away. Um, I mean, I remember reading years ago—I don't know exactly when—but I remember years ago there was a headline of the newspaper showing all of the, the places of uh, of Oahu. That we're going to be inundated with water because of the climate change, and I, I'm I'm I, I wouldn't be surprised if it said by 2020 you know half of Waikiki is going to be gone or underwater. Well, these things just don't happen, but it doesn't seem to matter to anybody because it's the constant panic and fear that, and also you know they talk about oh we're going to have uh, terrible hurricanes. Well, we we've, we've had fewer hurricanes than uh, than before, um, but it doesn't matter to the People they're they're panicked about it. They're fearful. They will take control. And uh, uh, MC has been revealing to me a lot of interesting stuff on the internet that reveals how blatantly false these claims are. And yet it doesn't seem to ever stop it. To to challenge it is to be uh, labeled a, a denier, you know, like a Holocaust denier, and to be reviled. So it's tough for people to even stand up against it.
0: So there's a handful of different directions that I want to take this discussion in. Um, and I don't want to get too far away from the the main point before we're able to circle back. So you mentioned um, Waikiki and, you know, the rising water lines. Um, so I want to go off on that tangent briefly, maybe. We'll see. How, um, but how important or as far as an environmental impact is that really? Because I remember... Um, some years ago, probably within the last decade, there were talks of uh, erosion of the beach, right? Like the the natural occurrence of the waves coming in, like, just wipes away the beach. And that's not good for tourism. So they were going, they were like pumping in sand onto the beach to extend it back out into, am I, am I misremembering this? It, like, correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen. Like, do you remember seeing this? Um, I think the they re-
1: replenish the beaches anyway. So Right. I'm not
0: yeah. So when it when it comes to you know the the rising sea levels, uh, you know, or you know, eroding away at you know however wherever the beach would end up being with the rising sea levels, um, considering that they're already doing man-made things to you know artificially extend the beach and expand the beach or whatever, um, is that really an issue? Like wouldn't people just move away from the shoreline? and then they would that, do whatever they needed true. to do.
1: There, there's a, a whole bunch of ways to look at the, the problem. And the first one to me is to look at history and, uh, well, the, the sea has been rising for 20,000 years or so. So, or at least the last 10,000, I think, but, uh, the, the sea was four, you know, 400 feet lower. And so we've, you know, s- humans have survived uh, a lot of sea level rise. Um, but in just in recent history, if you're talking about the last 100 years, uh, yeah, the sea level has been rising steadily, and but not by much every year, so it's it's very hard to even measure it. Um, if if you look at the, the claims made uh, back in 2000, or 2004, uh, you know around the time when uh, what's his name, uh, the, the famous uh, movie came out. Um, oh, the, uh, the inconvenient Al Gore. truth. Yeah. Yeah. Al-, Al Gore is an inconvenient truth. Um, all the experts said, you know, we'd have much higher sea level rise and it would affect Hawaii's beaches. Um, well, um, you know, sea level has risen, but, uh, the beaches are still, you know, a very popular place to go to. And, um, it, and all the experts were wrong. You know, the, the sea hasn't, uh, risen to the point where it's overtaking the streets uh, near, nearby. So, um,
2: One thing that just recently happened <clears throat> is that they've passed the legislature, uh, I think, to uh, a plan to buy back the homes that were destroyed by volcanoes on the Big Island. Now, legislation... Some talk years about ago, perverse right? incentives. Well, yeah. Uh, years ago, I mean, everybody knew where the fault lines were and where the danger zones were. But people on the Big Island, well, claimed... Um, uh, that, well, it's unfair that we shouldn't be able to get insurance. Insurance companies won't insure us in these zones. And so the legislature said that if, in order to offer in homeowners insurance in the state, you had to offer the same rate for somebody in a in a volcano zone as to anyone else on the islands. Otherwise, you can't sell insurance in this state. So the insurance company said, well, okay, we'll offer the insurance rates, which allows then financiers... Um, to finance mortgages, and they built thousands of homes in the big island on the danger zones. Then when the volcano erupted and mowed them all down, um, then they claimed, oh, my gosh, it's been a a natural disaster. (laughs) And so now the state legislature has instituted a buyback program where the taxpayers of the state get to buy out, uh, pay these people for their homes that were destroyed by the volcano. Well, all of it was generated in the first place by the interventions of the government to remove risk, which is moral hazard in economics, encouraging reckless behavior and um, uh, and a, an enormous cost to the taxpayers, so they'll do it again. And the same thing with shorelines. The federal flood insurance offers uh, low-cost, very low-cost uh, insurance for homeowners to build right next to the seashore. Well, they've been doing this for years, and, you know, storms... Uh, do knock down houses and doesn't matter. They can just rebuild and have the taxpayers pay for it. I think there was one guy in Texas that had rebuilt his uh, his home like eighteen times at full cost, no cost to him, but at the cost of taxpayers because the federal flood insurance said, "Well, you get to you get to keep um, uh, rebuilding." And now they've instituted a federal buyback program for houses uh, along the shoreline. So the damage is being done by government policy that encourages reckless folly things that people would not do if they had to care about the full rec, uh, full expense.
0: Just a general question. Isn't it possible that insurance in general causes that sort of behavior? Um, I want to uh, tie it in a little bit to the, the riots uh, that have been happening and the, the rationale from the riotors, right? As they uh, burn buildings and, and pillage stores and whatnot is, oh, you don't have to worry about this because you have insurance, so you're going to be covered. So just let us riot.
2: Well, of course, your the insurance companies are well of the risk. They have actuaries that evaluate risk, and they will charge you a rate uh, based on the measure of risk. And if the if the risk goes up because your store was burned down and there's riots uh, imminent, um, your your rates will either go up or you'll they'll deny you insurance. They'll just cancel the policy because the rates of the risk is too much. So it is paid for, and it's usually paid for the, by the people in those neighborhoods. A business that had to pay higher rates, insurance rates, will have to add a higher price, um, hire fewer people, maybe even go out of business in that neighborhood. So yeah, there is a cost, but they don't see it. It's um, Okay.
0: But having insurance in, in in and of itself doesn't necessarily lead to more reckless behavior in your mind.
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, to an extent, you could say that, well, people may drive more recklessly if they feel their car is insured. But the insurance companies evaluate these things, and they know that if you're too um, uh, prone to risk or if you're, you know, um, if you have a record of drinking and driving, they'll cancel your insurance as long as they're allowed to. You know, a lot of times the government won't allow them to.
0: Well, and then then we can bring that back into a government problem, right? By not letting by not letting that market, uh, operate as it should, as it would naturally. Sure. But they interfere in the market and skew how the, how people behave and how things are paid out. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, circling back, like I said, there was multiple directions I wanted to take this conversation. Um, I don't, I don't have a source for this article, uh, cause I don't remember where I read it, uh, or it might've been just in, in conversation with, uh, you know, local people here. Um, when it comes to the idea of climate change, what, the, what I've heard postulated is that through, um, through, throughout human history, humans have thrived in warmer climates, right? Like the, that's the, a true statement. The, okay, good. I'm, I'm glad it is because again, I don't have a source for where I got it from. I just, Probably me. I, I could have been absolutely could have been. So let's rehash that here. Uh, Throughout, throughout human history, humans have thrived in warmer climates. Um, therefore cl- the climate change or the, cl- in the direction that they're predicting getting warmer is actually a benefit to humans. And that, you know, by, by doing things that would restrict the climate from warming, whether or not that's even possible on the human level, right? Like Bill Gates blocking out the sun or whatever We'll you know, we'll, we'll see what that happens. Um, is not only virtue signaling, but if they are able to enact it, is actually detrimental uh, to the future of humanity or the future thriving of humanity. Um, and then, I guess my question for you, M.C., since you believe that to be a true statement, and I probably got it from you, um, is there an upper limit to that to that uh, to that climate change, that temperature, like you know, positive zone, where at some point it just gets. You know, within reason, right? Like if it's a million degrees Fahrenheit, yeah, we're all going to burn up. But like within reason, like how warm should we allow the, the, the earth to get before uh, climate change becomes a real issue that requires human intervention? Right. So the, the theory is, is that
1: uh, because CO2 is a greenhouse gas, it traps heat, that the more of it that we put into the atmosphere, the hotter the planet will get and we'll have all these temperature feedback loops that uh, increase the temperature of the planet over and over and over, and and the, the planet will burn up. That's that's the uh, psycho people. Uh, it's, it's it's complete babble. There's no truth in it at all. Um, so they take a little thing that's a little bit true, that CO... Well, it's 100% true. CO2 is a greenhouse gas, and they expand that to mean that uh, the temperature of the planet will increase forever. Um, fortunately we already know exactly what will happen when we have CO2 many times the levels that, that it's at now. So we could go to, we're, we're currently at 420 parts per million, which is uh, much better for plants than 150 parts per million. And what's good for plants is also good for humans because we eat plants and we animals that eat plants. Um, so I uh, lost track of my thought. Oh Yeah, so we, we can get up to, let's say, 2,000 parts per million CO2. Um, maybe it'll take us, uh, I don't know, 200 years to get there. So I don't know. Um, but let's, let's say we did that. Well, if we look at back at history, uh, the, the largest expansions of life in, in the history of the planet happened when CO2 was at higher levels and maybe there's, you know, greenery growing, uh, all the way up to the North and South pole. I don't know. Like, I mean, you, we, we have his, historical records, how, how much, uh, plants grow, uh, further north as the planet warms, um, but there was more life during that, those times. So we already know what will happen when, when there's more CO2 in the atmosphere and the planet thrives. Uh, well, life thrives. So it, we, we also know what happens when uh, the planet cools. Life dies. We have uh, fa- uh, famine and disease uh, uh, historically through human history because less things grow, cools. so you can't sustain. Yeah, you, have, you have less less food. You have, uh, well, people stay in, indoors and and don't get as much uh, sunlight, vitamin D, and uh, people, are, I guess, are closer together. And yeah, I don't know if I mean nutrition is like a really big thing. So <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, like like uh, I I like uh, what's what's his name Bjorn Longberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he said he, he looked at the climate debate. And found that there was minimal gains to be had, even if we spent trillions of dollars trying to change the, the, the temperature of the planet. And then, as an alternative, he said, well, what what could we do? What's the best thing we could possibly do for, for humankind? And, and he said, childhood nutrition. Interesting. And uh, I think that's a really good thing to look at. And it's kind of outside the box, but... Um, If you increase childhood nutrition, you increase uh, IQ, I think, I I don't even know what IQ numbers are, I don't care about IQ, but something like 10 points or something on average. Um, But yeah, that's, that's a huge uh, benefit to humans, when they're more capable, more competent. And uh, that's, that's what the that's what humans thrive on is being able to competently negotiate our, you know, our environment.
0: So you started that answer talking about um, CO2 levels in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Is that a more important data point to look at than average temperature, in your, in your opinion?
1: No, I, I don't think it's important at all. Um, I, I think um, I think more CO2 is, is actually better for humans, but whatever the CO2 level is, is fine. It's a trace gas when you're talking about parts per, per million. Um, think about it. It's you know, 150 parts per million is an extremely low number, and and we we know that because plants have a hard time growing at 150 parts per million. Um, we're currently at at uh, at a high of like 420 parts per million, um, but it's low compared to history, and but we, we we also know that plants grow better at 420 parts per million than than at 150. So
0: it's better. Right. Um, so, so higher higher carbon in the air leads, you know, cause that's, it's, it's like the, the, the plant human cycle of life or plant animal cycle of life, right? Like mm-hmm. humans, um, exhale carbon dioxide and that's what the plants use to synthesize and grow. Mm-hmm. So what we exhale, they take in and then they produce, you know, fruits and vegetables and everything that we then either eat or feed to our food. Um, and the cycle continues. So what yeah. you're saying is we have to increase right now based on, based on the historical data, we have to increase the amount of carbon in the air to stimulate plant growth so that we can thrive well, as an animal species.
1: I, I would say we don't have to do anything. Just, just th- that's not the thing that we should be worrying about. Well, that it would be as
0: beneficial a, then if it were to increase.
1: Well, it certainly wouldn't be harmful. Um, I, I think what is harmful is, is at, at this point thinking that, that humans should try to regulate uh, CO2 in the atmosphere or the temperature of the planet. Uh, there's much better things we can, we can do with our time.
0: And childhood nutrition being one of those.
1: Definitely. I think that I put that on the top of my list as far as things we can do to benefit the planet and humanity. Because when, when you have a, a well-educated and uh, economically uh, sound economy, Wait, wait, that didn't, <laughs> what am I trying to say? If, if, you, if you have more wealth in, in society, then you have people that are capable of taking care of their local environment. Okay. They're, they're more likely to keep their local environment clean. Um, so uh, one example is China. There's, there's some people that says, well, well, China's growing so fast that they have no choice but to keep using coal. Now, I don't care if they use coal as far as how much CO2 they're, they're emitting. Coal is; it creates other pollution along with it. Um, CO two is not a pollutant, but uh, coal, coal uh, emits a lot of particulates in the atmosphere, and and more people die from from coal than any other form of electricity production. So, uh, just because there's uh, stuff in the air, and some people have a hard time breathing, and, and a lot of people die from that. So, if if we could move to nuclear, I think that's the uh, best solution because has the lowest impact on the environment and uh, produces uh, the most efficient electricity, and especially if we can get some uh, advanced nuclear plants called uh, thorium reactors. That's I think that's the future, and I think uh, you know China and India will probably have it before the U.S., but um, I'm really hoping for that.
2: Bjorn Lomborg is quite a fascinating guy. He's done lots of research on this, and one of the things that he points out is that <clears throat> far better to devote our efforts towards adaptation to the situation um, than to try and just uh, fight it. Ah, uh, But is that what humans
0: do? (coughs) Humans mold the environment around us to suit our needs. Well,
1: China, China tried that when they, when they thought that they were smarter than the environment and they, they straightened the river so that they'd have more farmland. And then, and then the, all the farmland dried up, and they had no farmland. So, and no river. <laughs> yeah, and no river. <laughs> so, yeah, people are uh, extremely stupid. Um, yeah. One of the things that uh, um, Bill Gates wants to do is is pollute the upper atmosphere to reflect light away from the planet and cool yeah. the planet. Now, scientist I, I Bill Gates, right? Not scientist the, Bill Gates, not not the medical expert.
0: Yeah, yeah, Bill not Gates. the medical expert. The scientist Bill Gates. Yeah.
1: So he wants to cool the planet and and a cool planet ends up killing more people and plant life than a warm planet. Um, So, but the reason they get away with it is because of this crazy theory that has no scientific backing at all, that there'll be temperature feedback loops that overheats the planet and everything dies. Even the plants, even the plants won't be able to survive the, the temperatures that are coming. And, and that is something that most scientists don't believe in.
0: You know, does you, does ask, theories does theories like that though, uh, play into the conspiracy uh, of Bill Gates being uh, was it a, a Malthusian eugenicist who wants to restrict the population of the planet, and this is the backdoor, underhanded way that he gets to to manifest that?
1: Per- perhaps, and
0: I, and I don't know, you know what what he actually thinks is the best temperature for the planet or the best
1: amount of people on the planet, you know, but there used to be. People who who discuss that even wrote books about it. You know, there's there was people that said, um, you know, the, the the planet can't handle five billion people, and now we've got more than that, and and yeah. uh, economies of the world are are better than they've ever been. So, uh, more people seems to bring more wealth, and people are not uh, a, a negative for for the economy or the planet. Uh, people are a positive.
2: Let me just mention one adaptation that has been a very big plus, you could say. Uh, Bjorn Longberg pointed out that when the United States explored natural gas through the fracking and other means to extract natural gas, it became so abundant and so cheap that it, it replaced coal burning as the primary source of energy generation. The amount of conversion from coal to natural gas um, that was cheaper and cleaner, was so dramatic that it made it reduced the carbon footprint of the United States by more than all the countries that signed the Kyoto Protocols combined.
0: So that I, I was going to ask a similar question, so I'll just ask it as as you bring that up, uh, KS. One of the arguments that is made in in the climate change debate is that it's unfair for uh, developed nations, right, that have already gone through this process um, and, have, and have, you know, realized a, a certain level of wealth to then burden developing nations by saying, you know, coal burning is bad for all of us. So even though we use this technology to get to where we are on the wealth scale, you developing nation who are just coming to use it Um, are no longer allowed to use it because it's bad for all of us. Uh, Is that fair? Is there a place for that discussion on the international level? Well, I've already
1: discussed that. And coal coal burning is not bad for all of us if you're looking at the the CO2 emissions. Um, It's bad for the people that inhale the uh, pollution. Okay. The,
2: the, The point for that, though, is that, you know, the... Since the emphasis is on that the, the coal is bad, they, the 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 advocates of, um, um, you know, climate change policy have not recognized that innovation in the marketplace has created a very positive result that they are asking for, but they're not recognizing it. They don't that because that's not really their purpose, not really what they're after. You know, if they really wanted if they really said well reducing carbon footprint was good they would be cheering on yeah. this conversion to natural gas but they're not well it's and it's it's more-
0: it's funny that you bring that up as well right because we're we're sitting here uh, advocating for a warmer more thriving climate right so shouldn't if that's our goal so to speak right shouldn't we uh be arguing against the move to natural gas that reduces the carbon footprint shouldn't we be pushing for coal
1: no it's, i i think you're twisting things a little bit i it's fair i i advocate for not worrying about what the co2 is because it's it's not an issue that they they're trying to make it an issue one reason is because they want the uh, people in the government and uh, corporations want complete control of the uh, energy production in in the U.S. and around the world—that's what they're after. It has nothing to do with saving
0: the climate,
1: uh, but that they're bu- using
0: that much. I uh, understand, but you've also said, like historically, four hundred twenty parts per million had more plant growth, a, a more thriving environment, um, and we're currently like you know well below the one hundred fifty mark. No, no, we're
1: we're currently at four hundred twenty.
0: Oh, okay, I uh, misunderstood the, earlier. Then
1: the the, the one hundred fifty was the lowest we ever were, right? Okay, and at one hundred fifty. Plants have a hard time growing. Currently, we're at four twenty, which is much higher than one fifty, and and things are actually you know food
0: production is actually up around the world. Okay, I misunderstood and, but, that part. Then I, I thought you were saying we were we were close like historically four twenty was a good spot and we were closer to the one fifty mark. Now I apologize.
1: No. Yeah, and historically we've been high, as high as you know two thousand or higher parts per million, and 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 life thrived even more at those. So I'm not saying we should move towards that. I'm saying we should appreciate what we have. The planet is pretty great. Okay. And we should should not let the government take over energy production.
2: I think uh, when those very high levels of carbon existed, isn't that when we had the dinosaurs and tropical jungles over the whole planet for millions of years? Right. It was a much, much more lush um, world environment. In fact, that's where the oil that we get today and the coal that we get today came from the vast amounts of carbon that was generated, uh, you know, plant life that was generated during those warm times.
0: Yeah. Right. But it's, it's, it seems like that's what the environmentalists want. They're just doing the opposite to get there. Is that fair? D- depending on which environmentalist,
1: yes. There, there's a lot of people that, that believe what I'm saying. Um, okay. There's a uh, 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 collusion in, in government and uh, the government organizations uh, and the ed- education system to, demonize co2 production but the reason they want to do that is because uh most forms of of power production produce co2 as uh as a byproduct it's not to me it's not a negative byproduct it's a positive okay but the the reason they're pointing it out is well at, at one at one point they uh people went to uh i think it was congress they wanted to Maybe it wasn't Congress, but some, some government organization that that labels things. They wanted to label uh, CO two as a pollutant, right? And that's and that's ridiculous because CO two is a foundation of life on this
0: planet. Well, it's and not- and knowing that, if they label it a pollutant, right, then they can criminalize it. Then that's one more thing that they can bust anybody on, you know, as right. kind of a catch-all.
1: Yeah. And so they want so so that failed,
0: thank goodness. Um, they didn't get to label it
1: as a pollutant because people stood up against it. Um, but what what they're trying to do now is saying, well, there should be limits on the amount of CO two production, and there's no there's no scientific reason for for doing that. Fair, but um, yeah, because because we, we have historical evidence of what happens
0: to the planet when CO two is higher. Ah, uh, but don't you dare say follow the science to them because it doesn't fit their narrative.
1: Right. They they make up whatever they deem necessary.
0: All right. Uh, uh, Like I said, I wanted to take this discussion into multiple directions. So I'm going to circle back to the original article here briefly. And a comment that you threw out KS that said, you know, if, um, if the, if the government continues to raise taxes um, on the people of Hawaii, they will leave. And so I wanted to get uh, a little more commentary on that perhaps like what, what is it going to take? Uh, number one. Um, And it seems as COVID restrictions are being lifted, even though they still kind of suck in Hawaii, um, it seems like tourism is picking back up in Hawaii, which, you know, good for the economy, good for good for the people who are working there. And does does that increase in, you know, tourist income to the state uh, affect the amount of taxes that the, the state needs to levy on its citizens? Um, and therefore impact the amount of citizens willing to you know, to leave.
2: Oh, you mentioned one thing. that it, <clears throat> Does it impact the amount that the government needs to tax its citizens? I, I mean, yeah,
0: because you can tax first the tourists. Approaching that, right.
2: It doesn't need to tax them at all <laughs> for those things you know, because it, it does so many things that it doesn't need to be spending on. But it needs to in order to keep up its large uh, government workforce and uh, the, the position of government. But look at the at the recent status of the census report. I think it just came out this week. It said that um, there's a massive movement from states like California, New York, uh, Minnesota, which, uh, Illinois, highly taxed states going to the states that are low taxes. Florida, Texas, Arizona, Utah. Um, I mean, that's... Yeah, I, I saw a, an article where the clear.
0: exodus from California was pushing up housing prices in Idaho as everyone migrates. <laughs> <World>. Yeah,
2: <laughs> right. Um, so I, I think that it's a, a given, and I, I think the Grassroots Institute of Hawaii has come out with data that indicating that the people leaving the state of Hawaii is in higher numbers than in in, than in almost any other state, maybe any other state, but almost any other state. Um because the tax burden is extraordinarily high. And the tax burden both directly with the government taxes and indirectly, the cost of living is directly attributable to government regulations. the High cost of housing, they've limited the entire state to just 5% of the land area for all commercial and residential use. That means that it's um, very hard to get the land to build a house. And they're always talking about, oh, homeless, we've got lots of homeless. Well, that's true. They've outlawed trailers and trailer parks. Yep. Frankly, people may find trailer parks um, uh, an eyesore, but it's certainly a lot better than homeless tents along the beach, you know, and uh, uh, very high welfare uh, benefits that uh, make it attractive. But also the cost of living is is tremendously... um, aggravated by this desire to keep the land land you know yeah. they, they have all these policies to prevent the conversion of agricultural land because they say well we, we want to be able to grow our stuff but then at the same time they have a jones act which makes it too expensive to bring fertilizer and and uh and sell agricultural goods to other states and in other words it's it's a mish, mix mash of government regulations upon regulations upon taxes upon regulations which uh are uh, strangling the state. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, very I think counterproductive. I've, I think I've talked about this uh, years ago on this show. So if you're a new listener, you probably didn't hear it, and I'm pretty sure I didn't have this discussion with UKS. Um, I, I happened to walk into the room while my stepdad was, like, watching local television. Like, you know, what's going on in the local scene? And the topic on the TV program that he was watching was low-income housing you know, hey, we've got this housing crisis. What are we going to do about it? Um, And they were interviewing the developer. And the thing that stood out most to me was the developer. Like one of the, I I don't remember which one it was, but one of the larger developers, maybe the largest developer in the state of Hawaii, um, his position like during this interview was, well, the state needs to subsidize it, right? (laughs) We, the developer, there is no profit motive for us in developing low-income housing, and therefore we're not going to build low-income housing unless someone else foots the bill. And to, to me that was, you know, that was a, a gotcha, an aha type of a, a, of, a, of a statement to make because I go, well, now they're out and opening saying it, saying it right? Like, you know, why would the, why would the developer lose money on low-income housing um, when there's no money to be made back and, you know, someone else should pay your thoughts.
2: Well, yeah, i um, very good point that um, the, the costs of importing just the timber and the lumber for it is five times greater than it would otherwise have to be. Um, if they didn't have the Jones act, yeah. the taxes are higher. The union regulations um, mandate much higher uh, expenses
0: and those material costs have gone up significantly across the board. Um, I'm, I'm privy to information that would indicate that there's uh, building material shortages in Hawaii at the moment where, you know, even if even if you wanted to begin a project, you couldn't hit up the local Home Depot and get the proper supplies. And I don't even know if that's Jones Act related or Jones Act exacerbated. Um but that's you know that was that was the big indicator as far as media is concerned going like you know he, you can no longer hide the inflation look how much it is for you know a pallet of wood
2: people constantly want to see that a problem has a government fix rarely which is the scene uh, a politician is seen as active and doing something if he passes a law to fix a problem what is rarely ever the vantage point is seeing what did the government do in the first place that created the problem? No one won. None of the politicians want to look at that. In fact, most of the population doesn't either. I've pointed out to free market friends of mine, the value of just simply allowing competition with the bus, which has been outlawed for 80 years. Um, Well, for, yeah, for 80 years. Um, Competition brings us phenomenal things, like you can see with our, our cell phone. Once once they ended the AT&T monopoly on long lines in the 1980s, suddenly we had this burst of creative, innovative, low-priced uh, customer service and, and new ideas that happened in communication. We'd have the same thing with transportation if it was just allowed. But people don't want it to see that the government is the cause of it. They wanted to see what, what can, can the government do to solve this problem? And they usually just make it worse with another, you know, um, a problem tacked onto the top.
0: Ah, KS, because it matters little how we got to where we are. We are now where we are, right? How we got to point A is irrelevant. What matters yeah. is what solutions can we develop to get from point A to point B? and if those happen to be you know best served government solutions then so be it.
2: Yeah, MC has pointed this out to me time again time and again about how the whole purpose in politics isn't to solve the problem it's to reward the campaign contributors and the cronies and with uh, with the massive funds. That's why they don't want to see a solution in housing or transportation because there's no money in it for the for the cronies.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know,
2: I keep forgetting about that. (laughs)
0: Those, those cronies would be those developers, right? As I mentioned saying like, no, we're not building unless someone else pays, unless someone else absorbs the cost. uh, And then we, so that we can make a profit, we won't build. Right. And if that's, if that's their position, right. Then how do you get the government to lift restrictions out of the way where competition could enter the marketplace and put those dastardly companies out of business and let people who are able to build at lower costs for, you know, for lower income housing and find a way to make a profit to enter the market and thrive. You got it. Yeah. All right. Let's move on because uh, we talked about how to, uh, the, the people moving away from Hawaii as like, you know, the, the tax burden is so enormous that the the only alternative that they can see to better their lives uh, is to get away, and I'll be I'll be upfront. That was that played a factor in me moving to New Hampshire, right? I got you know, like, you know, people were looking at it and going like, "Well, how how much easier is it going to be to to be in New Hampshire?" And I went well, right off the bat, all other things being equal, right? There's no income tax, which means even if I had get the same job you know, working these same hours, you know, at these same, you know, national chain, whatever I happened to be at, at the time, um, I will be that much better off right off the bat. Right. So that was, you know, that played an impetus for me. Uh, but here I have a headline, um, from Mishtalk.com. I don't know. It must've been linked from someplace else. How easy is it to escape taxes by moving offshore or Puerto Rico? Um, uh, and, again, this should tie into you a little bit, uh, MC, because I think at one point in time you were looking at Puerto Rico, right? As like, hey, where where, where can I possibly go? Because, you know, Hawaii is what it is. And I, I do recall Puerto Rico being on that uh, list in some form or fashion. Yeah,
1: I'd, I'd really like to see the end of the Jones Act, and then Puerto Rico would be probably number one on my list.
0: Okay, um, but with the ends of the Jones Act, doesn't that alleviate some of the burden of living in Hawaii? It does, uh, but they just went full commie. Okay. With the climate change. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Into the article. Unhappy with Biden's tax proposals, so are many others. Let's discuss moving offshore. Puerto Rico, too good to be true? That is the question of the day, and the answer is, it depends. If you are willing to live in Puerto Rico and can do business there, then the short answer is yes, go for it. If you think you can escape capital gains taxes just by moving, the answer is a lot more complex. Slasher taxes to zero? Not exactly. Uh, Robert Wood, a tax contributor to Forbes, addresses the above question in his article. Move to Puerto Rico, slasher taxes to zero? Not exactly. Puerto Rico hopes, this is from that article, Puerto Rico hopes to lure American mainlanders with an income tax of only 4%. Legally avoiding the 37% federal tax rate and the 13.3% California or other states' rates sounds pretty good. What's more, there is no tax on dividends and no capital gains tax in Puerto Rico. However, some big cautions are in order. First, forget about easily avoiding U.S. tax on the appreciation in your assets before you move. If you move with appreciated stock, Bitcoin, or other property and then sell, all of that pre-move appreciation is still subject to U.S. tax. Only your post-move appreciation will be subject to the special tax rules in Puerto Rico. In fact, to escape U.S. tax on all of the pre-move appreciation, you generally must wait a full 10 years after you move. That is hardly a quick fix. What about selling your U.S. real estate? That will always be U.S. source income. That means it is fully taxed in the U.S. even if you move to Puerto Rico and then wait 10 years before selling. There are other fundamentals about the rules, too. First, as with any move, you have to actually move. Your tax home, your real home must be in Puerto Rico. Remember, just like any move from one state to another, it has to be real. Try to avoid messy facts that don't look like a permanent move, if possible, sell your home, move your family, sever connections to your old local clubs, and so on. After all, if you are later ruled not to be a Puerto Rico resident, the IRS is back in the picture asking for back taxes, penalties, and interest. Jumping out of the article very briefly, um, it's kind of funny the way they worded that because prior to the uh, COVID pandemic, uh, Mark Edge of Free Talk Live uh, Moved to and became a resident of the Northern Mariana Islands, um, you know, as part of the, the Crypto Frontier Project. Um, and then when there was like the possibility that he would not be able to get back to the U.S. mainland because of COVID lockdowns, uh, he came back. And I don't remember exactly what month that was last year that he came back. But he has been, you know, out, out of the Northern Marianas for quite some time now but still maintains residence there because that's where he's, you know, legal, where he has legally moved and has not changed that fact. So I think that's, you know, interesting in that respect and just anecdotal. Let's move on Uh, back into the article. Puerto Rico is perfect for whom? If you are willing to move to Puerto Rico and live there at least 183 days a year, then it is a very good solution for financial professionals, stock traders, and anyone else who can conduct business online or over the phone. One would not have to renounce citizenship or do anything else drastic. I know prominent people, one whose name nearly all my readers would instantly recognize who did exactly that. I believe he has been there for 10 years now, which means all accumulated capital gains are now at a 5% long-term rate. Not a quick capital gains fix. For those seeking to avoid capital gains, current long-term capital gains are 0%, but only after the move. Also consider even more detailed information by D.C. tax attorney Peter Paulson in Tax-Weary Americans Find Haven in Puerto Rico from that article. New qualifying residents have 100% tax exemption from Puerto Rico taxes on all dividends and interest income and long-term capital gains accrued after becoming a qualifying new resident. As for prior unrealized capital gains, the statute provides that The total net long-term capital gains generated by a resident individual investor related to the appreciation of the securities owned by such resident individual investors before becoming a resident of Puerto Rico, which appreciation is recognized 10 years after he or she became a resident of Puerto Rico and before January 1st, 2036, shall be subject to a 5% tax in lieu of any other tax imposed under the code. So that January 2036 mark is coming up faster than you think. Paulson provides examples in his article and even a phone number if you wish to contact him. Whether or not one can escape taxes by moving to Puerto Rico depends on your purpose, current income, and for capital gains avoidance, how long you're willing to commit to living there. Puerto Rico, a state? This tax haven dies on the vine as soon as Puerto Rico becomes a state. Democrats desperately want to make Puerto Rico a state not for the benefit of Puerto Rico, but rather to pick up two more Senate seats. For investment purposes, Puerto Rico is doing what it is doing on purpose. Those are the competing forces. Uh, net capital gains tax would approach a whopping 60% under Biden's proposal. In case you missed it, please consider the post on which this one is based. Uh, net capital gains tax would approach uh, blah, blah, blah. I am pleased to help in any way I can to avoid, uh, to anyone who wished to avoid such taxes. End of the article. So I'll throw this one uh, to you first, MC, is Puerto Rico still uh, on your on your radar, you know, aside from uh, wh- what you mentioned earlier, and for UKS, uh, is, is that the next move? Can we get from Hawaii to Puerto Rico?
2: I was in Puerto Rico once, and I'd say that the first image that comes into my mind is how hot the water was. I mean, the I mean, you, you jump into the ocean expecting the nice, refreshing feeling you get here in Hawaii, and... And it was like a bathtub. I couldn't wait to get out.
0: Well, <laughs> as, as soon as Bill That's, Gates cools the climate, that your water temperature of Puerto Rico will go down to that of Hawaii. So no problem no, there.
2: Then we can go ice skating there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would say if, yeah, definitely if, if Bill Gates su- succeeds, then I'll, I'll
1: be in Puerto Rico. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> and, I mean, there are, there are some other benefits. Because some other people are moving there to, to escape, taxation um those are kind of people that I, I would want to be around you know same same thing with uh texas or uh, new hampshire for example yeah um that's uh you know those
0: are uh yeah those those are those are my kind of people yeah i'll just end with that <laughs> the 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 tax thing when picking out this place because this is one of the disadvantages of new hampshire um uh, is you have to look at the overall tax burden, mm-hmm. depending on your objective, right? Like right now we rent, and I know the argument that says like, well, property taxes are built into your rent. Yeah, that's probably true, um, but at the same time, I don't see that, right? But what I do know is that if you're, you know, if you're looking at investment property and property tax is a concern to you, right? Hawaii. Uh, even though it's typically more expensive across the board, right, has like the lowest property tax burden in the nation. And New Hampshire is like the opposite. And the reason it's the opposite is because every other area for taxes is relatively low comparatively, right? There's there's no income tax. There's no general excise tax. There's no sales tax. So those things that, you know, affect people on the daily aren't seen right? Like there's, there's no state, there's no, there's no income tax taken out of my paycheck. And, you know, when I buy a 99 bag of chips at the supermarket, it's just a dollar, it's just, you know, 99 cents or whatever I said. Um, but it, but the, 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 the tax burden is hidden in my rent. Right. And New Hampshire being one of the highest property taxes in the nation may offset that, but it's difficult to calculate your thoughts. Um, it is, uh, one of those,
1: uh, calculation things. Yeah. Um, however, uh, I, I think there is an advantage, uh, well, there, there's a disadvantage for, for people, uh, wor- working for a living in, in Hawaii. So if you're running a business or if you're, if you have a, an, an employment check, um, there's a significant disadvantage because the people in Hawaii want to tax those people the most. Um, and, so the people in in Hawaii, um, a, a lot of people uh, are wealthy, and and if they moved from somewhere else to Hawaii with a lot of wealth, then they they're not in that that class of people. So th- those people and those people are often voters. Um, yeah. Don't don't want to raise property tax because that's where the bulk of their money ha- is sitting in 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 property. So
0: as they are wealthy,
1: right, and so. It's one of those weird things that if, if you're already wealthy, Hawaii's a pretty good place to be. Uh if you're trying to get there, uh it's it's much harder because um they they tax uh, uh employment so heavily and uh tourism and and other things. So. KS? And oh, go and, ahead. And no, the cost, yeah, and the cost of living is is high because of uh, the Jones Act, too. So.
0: Yeah. Um I, wonder- I w-
2: I wonder if the people in uh, Congress like you said the Democrats want uh, Puerto Rico to become a state because it's uh, likely added to democratic votes that may be but they may not be the kind of Democrats that they uh, might want I mean here if this if Puerto Rico really represents a low tax option I mean it might be the <laughs> might not be the kind of uh, democrats that they would welcome maybe it would work against the kinds of things that uh, biden is working for
0: well what about dc then because there is a the the movement is moving forward in getting uh the district of columbia statehood all of a sudden like that's on the table and and for the same reason right to to get more senate seats for the democrats
2: yeah i mean it yeah it could mean a couple more um a couple more votes Uh, frankly i don't i mean it from just a Purely democratic uh, point of view, I don't see. Uh, I mean, I can see why it's a ma- matter of balance of power and and st- strategic uh, interest to keep people from voting for president. But I think that it's um,
0: or no longer a balance of power and just tipping the scales permanently in their direction. Right. Uh, that, that was I, the biggest think- concern. Right. If they if they get. Puerto Rico and D.C., and they get the Democratic set in seats and, you know, they get all of that and then they pack the Supreme Court, then they basically, they are now a one-party system. That's the concern.
2: Yeah, I, I but I think politics is much more fluid than that. I think uh, the balance of power can switch um, overwhelmingly um, in any direction, uh, depending on who it is that's making the arguments and, and what the circumstances are. So I'm, I, I don't, worry that they will take a permanent control over the country usually whenever one party has too strong a position and don't and of course they're bound to screw it up um, whether it's republicans or democrats they are bound to screw it up and then the, the population will reject them and and recoil in what they think is another direction but it's just going back the other direction so i'm not worried about that
0: all right mcu uh no i'm not worried about it either all right final thoughts from either of you gentlemen nope all set. good all show right. let us wrap this up then thank you very much for listening everybody you guys know where to find us anarchistexperience.com on telegram like I said earlier tme slash anarchist experience or tme slash the anarchist experience and if you'd like to contribute to the show financially you can do so through patreon patreon.com slash the anarchist experience thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to you all next week peace Aloha